Let's stand for the reading of the word, Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Mm-hmm. Thank God for a definition of faith. And Father, we thank you. You have helped us understand how we are to present our belief, our trust, our obedience in you how that looks. So as we open your truth and we open our hearts to receive it, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have shifted into a time of great spiritual unrest and movement on our planet both in the unrighteous realm and in the realm of righteousness. There's all kinds of change happening around us. Evil has multiplied, but so has God's favor for his people. For those in his church who are seeking God and wanting, desiring to put him first, God has declared for those who put him first, at this time, there will be favor. There will be favor. His time of favor is now. This year, many who have been seeking God first will move from a time of being on hold, having to wait before the Lord, answers being delayed. You're going to get to move into a period where you get to reap, having trusted God and been faithful to God. This is the time of God's favor in your life. God designed this time just for you. The author of time the one who regulates time as we know it, has designed it for you. And it's God's time of favor for you. This is a season we've been waiting for. And it's not just waiting because there are two components necessary in order for there to be a harvest that we can enjoy. And they are, first of all, faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of faith. But do you not know, or do you want to know, James writes, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is what? Dead. So faith is the component we have to exercise. And just saying, I believe, is insufficient Waiting around for God to act does not impress him. Showing God by our works we believe him demonstrates we have faith for his promises. So good works, that's how that's revealed. Tithing, giving above our tithe, serving, using our giftings, working toward unity, having a teachable spirit, accountability, These are all demonstrations that we trust what you say, O God, and we believe you. But we also have to add to that faith, patience. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anybody draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So, Paul writes, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. In just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. 
These are the people who receive God's specific time for favor. Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Be like those who've gone before us. Look at them and the lessons we can learn. For those who put God first, he says, there's favor. In Acts, we note twice Paul attempted to take the gospel to Asia. Both times the Holy Spirit said, not now, not now. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia in Acts 16. So Paul had made the attempt to go at a specific time, but the Holy Spirit knew the specific time and said, no, right now. When God closes a door, sometimes it's as much a blessing as an open door. When God closes a door, don't just throw a fit and get angry and be all upset with God. We need to learn to trust God and trust God's timing. That's an expression of faith and patience. Trust God, not just when he opens, but rejoice when he closes a door. He will say, it's not my will, or it's just not my timing now. So Paul backed off because it was not God's timing for him to go to Asia. And others have not backed off, and they've made a mess of their lives. Paul would eventually go to Asia, and he won the whole nation. Listen to this. In a span of two and a half years, Paul won all of Asia to Christ. I'll read it to you. And this continued for two years. That's the ministry he had there in Acts 19. So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. When Paul went in God's timing, there was a nationwide revelation of who God is and of his son Jesus. When he attempted to go in his own timing, God said, no, you don't want to give birth to any Ishmaels this year. That's what happens when you get impatient with God. Impatience concerning the will of God will cause much pain. Wait for the Lord. If God says no, wait. While Paul was waiting, the door having closed two times, Paul has this vision of a man in Macedonia, and the man said, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And the word of God says Paul went and he spoke with other appointed pastors he had put in charge over the church. And he asked if they were in sync with this word that came from the Lord. And Paul has a vision from God to go to Asia. He has a word from the Lord to go for it. Paul now has the confirmation of his spiritual elders and, and you would think if you had a vision from God and a word from the Lord and out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word being established, that you'd just go for it and all the blessings and all the provision would just fall right into your lap, right? I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? And the word says when Paul arrived in Macedonia, the man who had called him in the vision was not, nowhere to be found. Where is he? Where's the man that was in my vision? So they're standing there, no direction. They're in a strange community. They don't know anybody. And they notice something going on down by the riverside. So they happened upon a band of women praying by the river. And Paul went and joined that into that prayer meeting. And there has another vision. He has a word from God. He has confirmation of his elders. He's been in a prayer meeting down by the river. Holy Spirit empowerment is happening. Paul's ready to go do the will of God in Asia. And the word says as soon as he stepped out of that prayer meeting, he encounters a demon-possessed woman. 
She was possessed by a spirit of divination. And she follows Paul around harassing him and upsetting him and speaking out about him. And finally, he wheels around and casts the devil out of her. And when he did that, the local authorities got very angry with Paul because they were making money from her fortune-telling. When her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Paul and Silas were beaten mercilessly. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into, their inner, into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. There are Paul and Silas, bloodied in a wretched hole in the ground, and it's 11.59 p.m., and at midnight, they began to sing the praises of the Lord. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing psalms or hymns to God. Nothing had gone right. Nothing. Nothing happened that was supposed to happen. But let me tell you about midnight miracles. Because right before your great set time of favor and multiplication arrives, there's the darkness of 1159. Nothing is happening. You're in pain. It's dark. You're in chains. And life stinks. That's exactly where they were. At 1159, they were in pain, in chains, and nothing was happening. Everything had gone wrong. Pastor, I just feel like God has me on hold. I ask and I ask and I ask. And it feels like God's got me on hold. If he has you on hold, don't hang up. Okay? You have need of patience. Because soon as that time of expression to God was finished, and God shook the prison, the sheriff... All of his deputies, all the guards gave their lives to Christ, prisoners, a renewal began. Things began to break. James put it like this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's 1159. We still have a vision from the Lord. We still have a word from God. We still have confirmation no matter what's going on in the season of nothing that's happening. I mean, there is a season. And I want to call it the season of nothing's happening. Have you ever been in that season? The season of nothing. And if you will hold on, your season of harvest will come. It's 1159, but the midnight hour is one step away. Midnight is God's favorite time. We think of midnight as a dark time. But God does some of his greatest miracles at midnight. Good things happen with God usually at the midnight hour. In other words, right at the darkest moment. And there you are, just moments away from breakthrough. Everything can change with one second of a God burst into the middle of your circumstance. Suddenly you move from dark, 1159, to midnight. Miracles, breakthrough like you've never dreamed before. And you've planted, and you've worked, and you've waited, and it seems like the more you pray, the less that's happening, and the prayer you pray, the answer seems to get further away than closer. Uh, P- Pastor Mark Batterson put it like this. He said, prayer is like a boomerang. He says, you throw it, and it just goes further and further away. And it says, 
I've been praying for this, and it's getting further and further away, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it arrives right back, and it's there completed. That's how this all works. When you've tried so hard to make it happen, all of a sudden, God's, God's grace provides, and it happens. The doors you tried to kick down, God's grace is applied, and every door opens. That is the season that is at your fingertips in this year, if you can believe. Stir up the faith that God placed in you. It's stronger than the darkness that you're facing. So, for instance, when the children of Israel were suffering in bondage now for over 400 years, when God's season of deliverance arrived, guess what time it was when God brought them out? Exodus 12, it came to pass at midnight. And then just a couple of verses later, here's what Pharaoh said. Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go. Get out of here. The blood of the lamb had been applied to the doors of the houses of Israel that day. It was activated by faith in God's word, and they waited. And when the death angel struck at midnight, the blood was activated, and it did its job, and it protected all the homes in Israel. So what do you do when you're in delay? What do you do when you know you have a word from God and it's not happening? What do you do when it's 1159? At 1159, it was just as it had been for the previous 400 years. At 1159, they were still slaves, still poor, still defeated. But instantaneously, when the clock struck midnight, God declared... My season of favor has arrived. In a moment's time, everything changed. Israel was liberated from their bondage. They walked out healed and no infirm among them. They walked out with the wealth of Egypt. They stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. With the movement of one moment in time. So what do you do when you're in that in-between spot? Do you know what they did? They trusted in the blood they had applied to their homes. When you don't know what else to do, when you have a child you've been praying for and you've been, you've been told by the enemy that I have them under control and, and, and they've been deceived by the power of Satan and the devil comes to you and says they will never get right, they will never come back to the Lord, they will never step foot in church, they will never be free from their addiction. What do you do? You trust in the blood. I've applied the blood. I'm trusting in the blood over my family. Like Israel trusted in the blood that night. It doesn't look like it's working, but there comes a seasonal moment when God activates the power of the blood. They overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I believe we're at 1159, and we're ready for a season of God's breakthrough, a season of favor. What am I doing? Trusting in the blood. And no matter what, where they are or what they're doing and where those wayward kids of yours have gone, they will return if you will trust the blood. Say, I trust in the blood. Because the blood is covering my family. The blood is covering my children. The blood is covering my business. I trust in the blood. It was at midnight that Ruth slipped into the threshing floor where she would connect with her kinsman redeemer. The answer 
to her future. That one day placed her in the bloodline of Jesus, a Moabitess. Now what happened at midnight, that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. This kinsman redeemer who said, I know you're impoverished. I know you're devastated. I know you're in mourning over the loss of your spouse and you're in sorrow. You have endured hardship, but I will take care of you. And the word says at midnight, Ruth went to the threshing floor and uncovered his feet and laid down at his feet. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. She came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. I believe we were at 1159 in the midnight hour in some of your lives. Some of you have been grieving, some struggling, and some in hardship, some with losses and pain. And it's looked bleak and looked like what God promised you is never going to manifest. But you didn't quit. There have been seasons of seeming famine. Ruth had endured the same in her life. But I'm here to say to you today, God has heard your cry. And you've been at his feet And he will move you from 1159, a place of need and grief and pain and chains and desolation and desert. And now it's midnight. And Boaz, her redeemer, awakened at midnight and put a covering over her life. Said, that shawl that is on you. That's what God's grace is. His favor. His mercy. His covering of blood, his love. It's covering you and it's saying, I will take care of you. I will supply your needs. You were begging in the fields at 1159, but now at midnight you own those fields because it's your season for a midnight miracle. Are you listening to this? At midnight, the cry rings out. The virgins, Jesus tells us, were waiting for the bridegroom. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Many believe that where it says the door opened in that context, that it's symbolic of the rapture of the church. The bridegroom arrives, but remember, there's someone running ahead of him. It was a midnight cry. And I believe that that's the precursor to the return of Jesus Christ. It's the cry of spiritual harvest, the ingathering just before the return of Jesus. And there's a great ingathering happening all over the planet. There are churches now with not just thousands, but literally hundreds of thousands. And the largest churches in the world happen to be everywhere in the world except the United States of America. The largest churches in the world now reside outside the United States of America because there's a great ingathering of people who come and listen to the gospel, they'll walk for miles to be there and sit all day to hear the message of Jesus. And even though it's dark, even though we're seeing prophecy fulfilled, even though we're watching the unraveling of the fabric of our society, trust in the blood. Remember the vision. Trust in the word of the living God. It's 1159. We stand astonished daily at what we're seeing happen in our culture. It's unimaginable. I would have never thought I would see what I'm witnessing today and what members of our government are proposing to do in our culture today. 
stuff that causes the heart to be upset and tremble and wonder. But I also see that at the midnight hour at 1159, even though everything is unsure, but just before the bridegroom shows up, there is a midnight cry. The bridegroom is coming. Thank you, Lord. He is. I believe that's the cry of ingathering, being witnessed in places in the world that have never had movement like this before spiritually. Harvest. It's a spirit of renewal for also his bride, the church, because American, um, the Western church in America needs renewal. Just before Jesus returns, the church will be awakened. The church will come back to life, back to influence. The church will cry out to her redeemer. It's the midnight cry. So hear this today, Calvary. It's 1159. It's almost 12. And if you hear the midnight cry, God's season of your favor is here. Is anybody else hearing what I'm hearing in the Spirit today? Things are going to change. Tell your neighbor, something good is coming. It's a midnight miracle. Now watch, in Exodus 26, where God gives Moses the direction for building, constructing the tabernacle, This is what happens just before your midnight miracle. It gets dark at 11.59. In the Old Testament tabernacle, it was covered with badger skins and ram skins all on the outside. Once you entered inside, the word says, there were 11 massive curtains made from skins of goats. And the skins were sewn together, and God commanded them to be hung inside the tabernacle. In one corner, there was the Holy of Holies, the spot where God's presence manifested visibly. And before you approached him, you came through the badger skins, ram skins on the outside. Then you'd have to pass through 11 goat skins, huge massive curtains. You had to come through the goats to get to the glory. And I'm trying to get to the fulfillment of what God has told me. I'm trying to get to the blessing, to the place where his presence is manifested. I'm trying to get to the glory, but there are goats. Just before you encounter the glory, look out for the goats. The goats are there for one purpose, to bring resistance, to see how badly you desire God's best, to prevent you, to discourage you. Before you acquire your breakthrough, before your children are born again, before your marriage is restored or your health returns or there's financial blessing or business breakthrough. And once you pass through one curtain of goats, there are 10 more waiting for you. Well, I fasted. What is this? Why is this happening? I I, I believed, Lord, when you gave me this vision and I'm really tired of waiting and I don't know if I can really keep going any further than this. And here's goat number nine, and here's goat number 10, and here's goat number 11. Then after all of that, the word says the last curtain hanging on the door to the Holy of Holies, the curtain is a double goat. (laughs) Fold the six-panel double at the front of the tent, he said. You've gone through 11. You've almost gotten your breakthrough. It's 1159, and guess what you encountered? Double goats, double resistance, 
double discouragement, double of all hell unleashed, double every circumstance. Do you know what that is? It's spiritual warfare trying to double down. Because Satan will always attack knowing multiplication is about to happen in your life. He knows you're about to experience the glory of God. And right before you receive breakthrough, Satan doubles down in order to get you to give up and get you to quit and walk away. But if you keep pressing through, you will get breakthrough. So we're praying, we fast, we bless God, we serve, we do what's required of us and beyond what's required of us because if we don't see it today, we will receive breakthrough tomorrow. And the word says that there was a white linen curtain with angels embroidered all over it, yet to pass through. Fine twisted linen, blue and purple and scarlet material with an angel cherubim design. A skilled craftsman should do this. Because you will press past the double goat skins into angel zones. Beyond that is the glory of God. And I hope somebody's grabbing hold of this and running all the way with it because it's been resistance after resistance after resistance and goat after goat after goat and they just keep batting against you and beating against you, double goat, and nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And God will give you breakthrough as you seek, as you're seeking him and praying and pressing in. God will give you what you need. Now watch. Then the last veil that separates the high priest from the Holy of Holies. There's no indication in Scripture that there's an opening in that veil. And the only time we read where that veil opened is when Jesus is crucified and says, It is finished. And it was ripped from the top to the bottom. In Calvary, if we allow God to tear us up, if we will humble ourselves from top to bottom, the breakthrough will go to our children and to our children's children. Dad, ask God to rend you in the heart and to start with you and let it go all the way to the bottom. What begins at the leadership and God begin at the top and go all the way to the bottom. Let there be brokenness. Let there be humility. God breaking us. The rending of the heart. What does it take to open us? What does it take to get us to submit totally to the Lord? What, is it to, what does it take to see us broken before God and, and humbling ourselves? And humility is not denying the power you have. That's not what humility is. True humility is not debasing yourself or demeaning yourself. True humility is acknowledging the power you have working through you. It's simply saying, I'm fully and completely dependent on God, not on what I'm able to do, but on what he does in me. It says, humility says, I have power, I have blessing, I have success, but it's not power that came from me, it came through me because God is my source working in my life. We're fully dependent on God. That's what humility means. When we reach the top, we need continuous rending so that it can keep flowing all the way to the bottom. So there's this humility that permeates our, our entire being. So God tears the veil from the top to the bottom. What would happen in the church if every dad and mom would say, rend my heart, O God? Here's what would happen. It would go through your entire family. It would go through the church. 
and God's glory would be revealed in each of our lives and in the body of Christ. That's the plan of God, to reveal himself in the body of Christ. There's this great story of one of our missionaries in Vietnam who served during the Vietnam War. He interpreted for many ministers who traveled to Vietnam to preach. He's their interpreter. He was free to move about South Vietnam at will and preach the gospel and share the love of Jesus and reached a lot of people. And 41 years ago, when the Americans left, Vietnam fell to the communists. But the missionary, the pastor, remained. It wasn't long after that he was uh, incarcerated, tortured because of what he did and who he was. In his incarceration and imprisonment, he was rarely fed. He had to work all day, hard labor. And he was forced to attend two class sessions per day called re-education classes. He had no Bible. And every single day, for two and a half years he was viciously beaten he said I got to the place after all the torture brokenness in my body the persecution the pain at times unbearable he said I bowed my head and I said God I don't even know what I believe anymore he was broken There was no help, no encouragement. He was beaten down. And every day he was told, what you believe is a lie. His duty assignment was to clean the bathrooms. There were no flush toilets. He had to clean up the used TP off of the floors. He was not allowed any printed materials, but one day as he was cleaning the floors of used toilet paper, He noticed something in print crumbled up in a corner. And he said, because I had nothing to read, I picked up that piece of used TP and I stuffed it in my pocket. When I finished my work for the day, I returned to my cell and I took out this little crumpled piece of paper and I cleaned it. It was a torn sheet of paper used for TP happened to be the page containing Romans 8 out of the New Testament that was torn and used for that purpose. He said, I uncrumpled it and I cleaned it. And I read, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He read that, right, because he had been asking and asking, Lord, I need a word. I need a word. You might be at 1159 in your life, 
And if God has to, he will send a word through your TP circumstance in order for you to hold on. And that's exactly what he did for that man in that imprisoned camp on a crumpled up, dirty piece of paper was the word he needed that day. And within 24 hours, that minister was freed from that prison knowing there's a God at 1159 who still hears our prayers. Hear the word of the Lord today. It's 1159, but the midnight hour is here. And God's season for favor and breakthrough is here. And if you receive that, then you ought to stand to your feet right now and lift your hands and give thanks to God and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, thank him. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Fill this room with thanksgiving because you have a God like that. And and they sang praises at midnight, bloodied, beaten, harmed. They sang praises and there was a prison break. Satan attacks just before multiplication. Sending double resistance. But be encouraged when that happens. Because the devil will not fight an advancing army. Just a retreating one. He's fighting you because you're on the brink of breaking through the lines of resistance and getting all God promised to you. Amen. Come on, anybody. Love the Lord.